Hello, everyone, and welcome into the State for Day podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Matthews, bringing you all things AZ. And today on the show, we have Arizona Diamondback pitcher Merrill Kelly with us, also an ASU alum, kind of an AZ guy. He grew up in Scottsdale, but we'll get into his birthplace, all the languages his father speaks. I mean, <laughs> we learned a lot here just prepping for the podcast. But first things first, we're going to do a quick little game called Complete the Sentence. Let's okay. I promise nothing too crazy, but going to make you think here. Okay. Blank was my favorite player growing up. Craig Biggio. Ooh, that was yeah, fast. Definitely. My okay. favorite number growing up was seven, and that was why. Because nice. he wore number seven. I always liked how he had his all the pine tar on his helmet and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Blank is my favorite pitch to throw. Changeup, for change up. sure. Changeup. Yeah, getting the full swing on the changeup when they think it's the fastball, it's one of the better feelings for sure. A highlight in my career has been... Uh, just any highlight, huh? Any highlight? Um, what first comes to mind? Winning, probably winning the Korean World Series or the Korean Series 2018. That is a big highlight. Yeah, that was fun. Getting 200 innings pitched. Definitely. Big highlight. Yep. We'll talk about that. My best friend on the team is... Mm, how are you going to put me on the spot? I know, I'm Everybody's like, they're going to be watching. All the boys are going to see this. Uh, if I'd have to go with my best friend Your on best the team, probably the guy I've known... Uh, the longest on the team, I'd probably say Christian Walker. Okay. Yeah. And I trust him over at first base. So he probably is a little bit <laughs> better exactly. of a friend to me than maybe other people. We were saying uh, you like to golf a lot. I do. Mostly with the pitchers. Yeah. Who's your favorite if you had a team up on the team with? Ooh, I could go different directions. If we're talking just for fun, mm-hmm. uh, probably Jordan Luplo. Because what's that game where you like pick up? I don't know too much about golf, but you like pick up after someone hits scramble. Scramble. Yeah. Your scramble partner. My scramble partner would probably be Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly. Yeah, yeah, he's a stick. He's really good out there. He, you were saying he was the best one, right? On I think team? so. Yeah. Okay. Besides you, no. Uh, <laughs> You're like working on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably yeah. I'm up there. I would say I'm up there. My favorite thing to do with the fam is just hang out. Just chill at the house. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm we're gone so long during the season that when I do get to stay home, obviously I'm lucky and I get to be home all year. Yeah. Um, But when I am home, me and my wife are both pretty big homebodies. We don't really venture out too much unless we have to. So, yeah, we both just like being at home and hanging out with Hattie now that she's old enough to, you know, kind of give us some personality. And you have two little golden doodles right we do i'm a huge dude fan yeah i have golden doodles too yeah we recently got some uh not to bring the mood down on the podcast a little bit but we recently got got some bad news on uh on our younger pup Mm. um yeah he's got some pretty bad cancer but uh yeah we had a little meeting yesterday sounds like he's gonna be with us a little bit longer than what we thought so yeah what's his name uh bodie Bodie. Yeah, he's not even four. He'll be four December 1st. Okay, yeah, not to continue to bring the mood down, but yeah. my golden dude passed away last year at four years old, too. Really? It's like, yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Okay, we're going yeah, to pick things Sorry, up here. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> I but yeah, uh, we have another one. He's six, uh, Tucker. They're the he best. He was our first guy. He's kind of Breeze. Uh, he was kind of Breeze Rock when I was over in Korea. The first two years we had him, oh. I was over there, so she really leaned on him. So she's he's kind of... Uh, He's kind of her dog, and Bodie's kind of mine, so oh, that's, that's tough. And but. then the baby, you have to get a third dog now. Uh, yeah, we might. Once Bodie goes, I think no. we'll, we'll probably get another one. Bree's already kind of touched on getting another one, so I think yeah. she wants a brother for Tucker. And They're the best dogs, though. They are. So. We love them. Okay, to bring up the mood yeah, a little bit more here, I'm going to throw out this question. Who is the better dancer, you or Bree? 
because I saw your moves, that clip of you doing uh, a little, can you give us a little? <laughs> with her, I can move my feet pretty well, but I don't know. I saw that. Past that, I don't know. I went through a little phase in high school. Uh, you know, me and my friends thought we were real gangster, and for some reason I uh, really wanted to learn how to sea walk. Oh, so my I can sea walk. I can sit here and say that I can definitely sea walk, but I would say that's probably the extent um, of, of my dancing. Producer Nicholas back there, can we can we move and adjust cameras so we can see the sea walk? I don't walking? know if we need all that. For I can, the do, viewing I can audience do a little short thing sitting yeah, down do right remember, now, but I remember sea walking. Like, yeah, dun, dun, I would dun, do dun, YouTube dun. videos all the time. <laughs> like that's what I did for like hours when I was a kid, just learn how to like move my feet. But I love that. With my wife's background, I don't think I could sit here and say that I'm a better dancer than her. <laughs> no, and I did dance with your wife. Yeah, so you can vouch. at ASU. Yeah. So a little tie in there. Yeah. Amazing dancer. I was, I, I was more of the hip hop uh, hype girl too. I okay. wasn't, I was see walking too. I wasn't okay. the freak and turn for days and kick your leg up and yeah. amazing. She said she hated ballet though. She said the one thing she hated was ballet. She said I mean, everything You else. might actually be really good at ballet with that turnout <laughs> you did with the sea walk. I was working on my, uh, actually my ankle mobility this morning. So okay. the ankles don't move as much as, as maybe I need I was going to ask you like for, I know football players will sometimes mm -hmm. take up ballet dance classes. No. It doesn't, it don't translate I on think, the, on the mound. I think probably the closest thing I get to that is maybe Pilates. Okay. I started doing Pilates last year. My back, uh, fired up big time in, in the off season. And I kind of went on a little exploratory journey of different workouts and exercises and stuff. And I landed on Pilates. Okay. Uh, it's actually funny. Brie makes fun of me all the time. Cause she taught Pilates for, she did I think like two years, two or three years before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never went to take her class. <laughs> so when I started doing it, she, uh, you know, she gave me some stuff for it, but yeah, I think it's helped a lot. I like it so far. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well you have quite the story. The redemption story is what I would like to call it. Okay. Just your journey that I've followed. I mean, it's been amazing to follow your journey through Brie and her Instagram and keeping up with you guys through the years. Um, but let's start way back in the beginnings for okay. you. So Scottsdale is where your family kind of transplanted, but you've been all over the place growing up, correct? Take yeah. me through that little timeline. Um, so like I said, roots are in, all in Texas. Uh, my mom is from a place called Beaumont, Texas, which is right on the border of Louisiana. And my dad is from a town called Brownsville, Texas, which is, like I said, about as south Texas you can go right on the border of of Mexico. Um, so which is I, why he's fluent in Spanish. Yes. We find out. Didn't teach me any of that. Thanks, Pops. <laughs> would have been really helpful. Um, would have been helpful in my profession for sure. Um, but yeah, he used to go across the border with his friends and kind of hang out and then walk back, you know, back. This was back in, I mean, when he was, he's 70, 76 now, I think. So this was obviously, you know, 50 years ago. Um, but he said they would walk across the border, have their fun and, and come back. Um, but I was born in Houston, went from Houston to Austin, Austin to the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, and then we're there about four years and then went from the suburbs of Philly to the suburbs of Chicago. Um, was there from third to eighth grade and then finally landed down in Scottsdale going into my freshman year of high school. And you're playing baseball throughout every city that you guys were at growing up or what did that look like? Yeah, sports for us was always huge. Uh, I have a two-year-older brother than me. Um, he was always the baseball guy. Growing up, I was always the basketball player. Um, okay. growing up, I was a basketball, I like to say I was a basketball player who played baseball in the off season. <laughs> um, just because, you know, you couldn't play basketball right. anymore. Season was over, but basketball is by far my first love. Okay. Um, point guard. Uh, yeah, I was a point guard. I liked to drive and dish. Um, but 
If you ask me right now if I could be in the NBA or the MLB, I would pick NBA. No way. Uh, ten times out of ten, not okay. even not even a question. And you're a big Suns fan. Yeah, now. I've I've become a big Suns fan. Growing up, um, I think my team I would still say is the Bulls, um, okay. just because I got to see Jordan play when we were there, and I you mean, know, yeah, obviously I mean. I'm a huge, uh, huge Jordan fan. Um, see the kicks. So getting to see him and play in person, and all those guys, Scottie Pippen, all those guys was really special for me. Um, so I kind of latched onto him and that team when I was there. Um, you know, they haven't been as good since I moved here. They're definitely getting better. You know, they got guys like Zach Levine and those guys are really fun to watch. DeMar mm-hmm. DeRozan. Um, but I just lost where I was going with that. But, um, but the Suns are better. Yeah. But the Suns are, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but this, I'm definitely becoming a Suns fan. I yeah. think I enjoy going to the games, you know, obviously books fun to watch Chris Paul, the guys they have are really exciting. Um, and like I said, I always love watching basketball. So I'm definitely becoming a sport. Okay. Uh, a Do you Suns still fan. play like in the off season or pick up games at the gym? Um, I have a couple times and it hasn't really ended well. <laughs> um, there's a couple of times that I've tweaked my knee a couple of times. Ooh. So I try to lay off it as much as I can. Yeah. Um, when, when baseball's over, um, definitely we'll pick it back up. So you got to Phoenix around what, 14? Yeah. Some are going into freshman year high school. Okay. D-backs still fairly new, maybe five years in the yeah. mix. Did you end up latching onto that team as a fan just growing up here? No, no, I was an Astros fan. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're not going to go down that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Obviously there's been some stigmas with them going on the last yeah. couple of years, but like I said, growing up, I was a Craig Biggio fan. So him, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Jason Bell, when they had the killer, the I think it was Jason Bell. No, that doesn't sound right in my mind, but either way. Back, that was what year? Oof. That was when I was I was born in 88, so probably like the 90s, okay. early 90s mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but all those guys, I paid attention to them a lot. Um, so growing up, I didn't really – and growing up here when I was in high school, uh, my priorities were kind of all over the place, so I didn't really – like I liked playing sports, but mm-hmm. – I didn't prioritize them, I guess I'll say. Yeah. Until I got a little bit older. So at what point you ended up going to a community college first? Yeah, Yavapai. Yavapai and yeah. then Arizona State. Yeah. Where our somehow our lives crossed paths. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that story. But what point for you was it okay, I'm gonna take this seriously to end up becoming a starter <laughs> starting pitcher in the major leagues? Um I mean in high school I definitely I took the game seriously. I enjoyed it. I knew I was good at it, right? Like you can tell, you can look around and say, all right, I'm better than most of the kids out here. Um, but I would say the switch really flipped after my freshman year of college. Um, mm-hmm. So I got drafted out of high school, was going to community college because I didn't have the grades to get to ASU out of high school or any D1 school. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Yavapai my freshman year thinking that I'm just going to be here for a year, either transfer to a big school or get drafted again. Obviously, why not? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end of the spring semester, I had a five ERA and a 0.5 GPA. So, okay. yeah, so wow. we want to flip those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like I said, my priorities then were, were not where they needed to be. Um, I had a girlfriend still down here, and I think that probably distracted me a little bit. I mean, I was back down here every weekend, every day that I could. Sometimes I would just take day trips down just because mm. driving up and down the 17 like a maniac. Yeah. Um, and I had Vanderbilt and Virginia Tech both call. And I think where I hit not necessarily rock bottom, but where it, where it really hit me and I realized that if I needed to do something with this, I needed to – 
pick it up a little bit mm-hmm. was the Virginia Tech on the phone to me personally said, Merrill, we would love to recruit you, but we physically can't. Wow. And it was like, man, that's tough. That yeah. looks like I'm going back to Yavapai for another year. Wow. But I would say the. That the, was the moment you're like, I'm yeah. stopping myself yeah. at this point. Yeah. The look in the mirror moment happened, I think, after that, after freshman year. Wow. Yeah. So ASU days, what is like a core memory for, for you playing back Go Devils for the Devils? Um, obviously, where you met your wife yeah. at the time. I think she would like if that was my first answer for sure. Yeah. So um, it's just like core memory <laughs> meeting. Yeah. Meeting my future <laughs> wife and mother of my child yes um, that's what you better say and yeah. then yeah follow up with um, secondary. but i would say probably playing at packard stadium yeah. you know especially with them not playing there anymore and having it look the way that it does and have a bunch of work trucks and everything yeah. just sitting on it um with all the history that's in that stadium all the guys that have come through that stadium and played there and went mm-hmm. on to be really really good major league players um i would say probably playing at packard yeah. yeah, it is a cool place. It is. It was special. So the funny story around this is the day, I think the night that you met Bree, I happened to be at the party mm-hmm. that we went to together, a yeah. few of us from the dance team, yeah. and that's the night that you guys met. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. Shout out to Devin Marrero, my out. buddy, uh, <laughs> for having them over that night. Never. Yeah, I would have never. And then when I followed up through the years, okay, they're still dating. Awesome. And then all of a sudden... I see you. Um, I'm watching the Padres game. Mm-hmm. Jody Jackson's interviewing mm-hmm. Bree, and I'm like, "Wait, what's going on here? Why is Bree on my television <laughs> screen?" Just to find out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it took me eight years to propose, but come on, we got it done. Well, I mean, we were you both know. young. You yeah. know, we had to get ourselves situated, and that's a long. That's a lot of movement, life yeah. moments. Yeah, You're no going. Doubt. We're going to talk about this, but you went to South Korea to play, reignite your career. Yeah, um, been through, and she's been through it all. All of it. The minor leagues, yeah. Montgomery, Alabama, Ooh. Durham, North Carolina, all kinds of places that she's gone and stuck with me the whole time. I don't still to this day. I can't really figure out why, I love but it. Bri, um, this part's for you. Yeah, we'll clip this but, off. <laughs> but she's, you know, she's been through all of it and she's been there for me obviously more than than anybody else so she's definitely seen all kinds of sides of baseball she's seen you know the grinding minor league side she's seen the college side she's seen the you know the overseas side Um, I even played in the Dominican for Mm -hmm. um, you know a month and a half in the offseason 2014 and she came down there and visited there too so she's you know she's kind of seen the world just from yeah, yeah coming from baseball so let's get into that South Korea stint. You yeah. were drafted by Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. They started to put you more in a reliever role, and mm-hmm. you wanted to obviously be the starting pitcher that you are today. Yeah. And what was that whole experience like? One, knowing at that moment, okay, I'm going to go play KBO, right, ball mm-hmm. out there. Um, and then just what you gained from that experience truly to get you to where you are today. Okay, so I'll give you kind of the the background on how it came about too. Um I was in, we were in Syracuse, I think it was. Um, no, it wasn't Syracuse. Either way, threw a game in the minor leagues. I think it went well, maybe six innings, couple runs. And I had a teammate come up to me. His name was Doug Mathis. Um, he said, hey, there's a Korean scout here, and he wants your agent's info. And I looked at him, and I said, he's from where? He said, there's a Korean scout who wants your info. And at the time, I had no idea there was a KBO. Mm-hmm. I knew of Japan. I knew guys went to the NPB. Um, but at this time, I had no knowledge of Korean baseball at all. So I gave them the info. Don't really think anything of it. Um, they come in August of that year and try to get me over there at the end of 2014. 
Um, I was still under contract with Tampa, so they would have had to buy me out. Uh, Tampa threw up a pretty hefty buyout, so the Koreans went away, and that was the last I heard of it. Ended up going to the Dominican that offseason, mm-hmm. and then with a week left of playing down there, my agent calls and says, hey, the, the Korean team's back, and they want to try to make this deal happen. Um, and it was what's called my protection year. Right. Um, so either I got protected, got put on the 40-man the major league roster with Tampa, or somebody else could claim me. The rule five. Yeah, exactly. So my rule five date was coming up. Um, it was actually, it actually happened while I was in the Dominican. So I told my agent, I said, Hey, let's wait till the rule five day. If nothing happens with Tampa, if nothing happens with other teams, then we'll go. Cause I still had two more years of control with Tampa after that year. Mm-hmm. So they could have sent me back up and down. They could have kept me in AAA. They could have done whatever they wanted. So after the rule five day passed and nothing happened, we said, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I expected to be there for a year, maybe two. My original goal was to go over there and just get out of Tampa and just come back and see if any organization, you know, kind of wanted my services. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, four years later, I'm I'm still there and and you know, and World Series and one in a Korean series. series. Um, but it was looking back on it, the best other than other than my wife. Um, <laughs> Got to put that in there. Uh, other than that, it was the best decision I've made in my life by far. Um, just the life experience I got living in Korea for four years, I get to experience a different culture, a different brand of baseball, um, and kind of being in my own little bubble to force me to progress, not only as a, you know, not only as a baseball player, but as a person, kind of open my mind to different things and be open to a lot of things that would probably drive a lot of us nuts, um, just because it's such a different culture. They do things, they operate differently than we do. Um, And there's a lot of things that don't translate from their culture to ours. So give me something that stands out to you. Uh, I think the biggest thing is age, right? So over there, age is king. If you're older than somebody, if you're, I'll put it this way, if you're younger, like the the term respect your elders Mm -hmm. is top of the food chain over there. If you're younger than somebody, it doesn't matter what status you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've made. None of that matters. If you're younger than somebody, if they ask you to do something or if they tell you to do something, you're doing it. And you're not questioning. You're bowing and saying thank you, and you're going to do whatever it is that they ask you to do. You're coming back, and then you're moving on with your life. Wow. Um, Which I think is, from what I observed over there, it's good and bad. You know, I think sometimes they can get a little caught up in just saying it's it's okay, it's Korean style and, and kind of getting away. The old guys can kind of get away with yeah. treating the young guys a certain way. Um, and they would test us. You know, they would test the foreign guys and see how much we were willing to put up with. But, you know, guys have been going over there for so long that I think they know how we operate and I think they know what we're willing to put up with and, and not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would probably say that was the biggest, uh, cultural-wise, I would say that's probably the biggest difference between us and them. That had to be such a cultural shock. Yeah. Just to the lifestyle there, completely different. The language, did you pick up on a little anything bit. a little bit? Okay. Yeah, probably not as much as I should just because we're spoiled and we have our translators. translators yeah. So if we're forced to speak it, we have somebody to translate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably got better at reading it than oh, wow. I did speaking it. Um, the alphabet's actually not too complicated once you start getting the sounds and the symbols mm-hmm. down. But the problem is I would read it, but I wouldn't know you know, what it says. Yeah. I could read it and I could make it, make the sounds happen. But then people would look at me and say, well, what does that say? Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's some Korean word. I can just sound it out. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So the craziest thing that you ate over there, obviously food being a big mm. part of their culture. 
I would probably narrow it down to two things. One, they're really big on intestine over there. Excuse me? Yeah. You heard that right. Intestine. <laughs> intestine. Intestine. However you however you want to pronounce it. Um, wow. Yeah, it's kind of a delicacy over there. They have a lot of different ways to prepare it. I've seen it in soups. I've seen it in okay. just regular dishes. Uh, I tried it once. Throw some sauce on that? And- yeah, definitely okay. threw some sauce on it. Uh, the texture is not the best. It's a little chewy. And for me, I just couldn't get past, you know, what used to be. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I just couldn't get past what used to be <laughs> in it. You're about to hurl right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, that and I tried uh, cow's blood one time. Okay. So we were at a meal with our player director. I think our GM was there. They would take us out to dinner, you know, kind of once a month just to check in, see how we were doing. Um, they brought a soup right in the middle. They're really big on soup. Soups at every meal pretty much. And there's a giant red block, looks like just a cube, dark red cube right in the middle of the soup. And I looked at one of our guys. I said, what is that? And they wouldn't tell me until I ate it. They said, try it and then we'll tell you. Nope. So reluctantly, I was like, all right, I broke off probably the tiniest piece that I could. I put it in there. Didn't, I mean, it tasted probably how you think blood would taste, kind of irony and not very good. What? Uh, So I ate it and they finally told me, they said, yeah, it's cow's blood. So it was just a giant block of like coagulated, like jello cow's blood. Oh no. That's a no for me, a hard (laughs) no. So I said, all right, I'm never eating that again. What are like, I mean, what are the, I'm going to actually Google this, nutritional facts behind. Couldn't tell you. Like what? Couldn't tell you. But hey, every culture is different. But I love the food though. So the KBO is known as like a hitter friendly league, correct? So yeah. how were you able to, or how did that just help you fine tune yourself mechanically to be able to then prepare yourself for the majors? I mean, you give up enough homers, you can probably figure out something to yeah. change, you know? Um, yeah. When I went over there, I think the, I think it's changed a little bit. I think they changed the balls. Um, the pitching has gotten definitely better since when I first went over there. Um, but when I first went over there, I mean, I would see balls just flying out of these stadiums and a lot of them are a little smaller. Um, cause I think that's what they pride themselves on. They pride themselves on being a good offensive, um, culture, I guess. Uh, I think the Japanese are a little bit more on the defense pitching side. Um, but definitely what Koreans hang their hat on is their offense. Um, so like I said, if I saw the ball getting whacked too many times, um, but I think that's what was good for me to go to Korea I was able to, I had to be my own pitching coach, mm-hmm. even though we had pitching coaches, they spoke a completely different language and we might be trying to figure out the same problem, but they might attack it a little bit differently or it might get lost in translation or right. whatever the problem is. So I really had to go internal and try to figure out everything for myself. But I think that was probably the best thing for me is that I was able to do that and be in my own little bubble and, and really focus on one thing and try in it. And if that didn't work, then I'd go on to the next one. But at least I didn't have, you know, this coach in one ear telling me to do this and this coach in the other ear telling me to do this. Mm-hmm. I had to focus on one thing that I could handle in my brain at that moment and just try to hammer down on that and then kind of move on to the next one. Yeah. How much does that now translate to today? I think a lot. Yeah. I think a lot. Because even though I do have, obviously, people who speak English to me now and can translate uh, what they're trying to tell me, mm-hmm. I think everybody... at at the level, especially when you get to the bigs, I think everybody's got a pretty good idea of what they're doing, right? Like they wouldn't be there unless they knew how to do something really well. Um, you know, you can obviously fine tune stuff and that's where the coaches come into play. You know, maybe you can learn a new breaking ball or a new angle on a certain pitch or try to get it to spin a certain way. Um, but I think everybody at this level 
is their own pitching coach and has been probably for a long time. Um, so when I got there, 19 for me was a bit of a struggle, honestly, mm-hmm. just because things were moving so fast. Um, I mean, I was a 30-year-old rookie, but you wouldn't have been able to tell. You probably thought at the time I was acting like a 21-year-old. Um, I was still so in awe that I was even there mm. um, just because it was the something, it was the thing that we've worked for yeah. our whole lives. And going from a clubhouse that I didn't understand anything that was said to going to a clubhouse that I understood everything, uh, it was just a lot. Um, you know, and like I touched on before, like I'm pretty – uh, I guess the word's a cozy person. I like to kind of stay cozy. in my own little bubble. Yeah. Um, so to get thrust into that and and with everything that comes along with the big leagues, um, at the time I didn't really realize it. And I remember Mike Hayes and, and Tori sitting me down before the year and asking me how I was dealing with the family stuff and, you know, are there people coming out of the woodwork and how are you doing with this? And at the time I was like, guys, I'm fine. What do you mean I'm 30? I'm not 21-year-old right yeah. now. Um, but they were right. Um definitely with friends and family that were, you know, it's all out of excitement. It's all for good stuff, but you know, friends and family that would hit us up all the time, want to come to the games, um, you know, want to sign ball for this kid or this kid. Um, yeah, you know, it's overwhelming just, quick. yeah, it gets, it starts moving fast. And then you try to add that with, you know, trying to get Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis out. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ball starts rolling really, really quick. Yeah. So I had to struggle to get through that year, but Ever since then, you know, it's kind of been a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable. So, yeah, yeah, it's in a good spot now. Before we get more into your career here with the D-backs, what was that environment like in South Korea game-wise? Because, you know, I've been to games in other countries, Mm -hmm. and it's just like all in, like a different feel. Um, What was it like over there? I'm wondering. Incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, you know, it's just like here, some stadiums draw better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you start getting into the playoffs and stuff like that, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos or any of the games that they were televising during the pandemic, um, but they oh, have. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So they take baseball very seriously mm-hmm. over there. And the cool thing about Koreans is when they get excited about something, they get very excited about it. Um, they're a very kind of almost like a childlike culture when they get s- super excited about stuff. They almost get, you know, Love giddy that. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the games are no different. Every hitter has their own song that the fans sing the whole time that that hitter is up. What? Yeah. So that's not distracting at all. Like how Yeah, you get used <laughs> you to get it. Used you kind of yeah. tune it out. Um, but my first year over there, I remember during the exhibition games, during our spring training games, that stuff didn't go on. So it was just like a normal baseball game. Like I'm used to. Okay. And then opening day, I walk out and there's chants going on from both sides. There's songs going on from both sides. There's cheerleaders. There's drums. There's wow. music being played. I'm like, I look around. I'm like, what Where is going I? on? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the more I was over there, the more I actually enjoyed it. I think uh, I think American baseball could honestly benefit right? from Spice some of the stuff that they do. Yeah, for sure. Especially at Chase Field. You know, it gets a little stale there sometimes. So if we had, you know, if Christian Walker had a walk-up song, and it fills, you know, kind of fills the space because, like I said, the whole time Walk is hitting, there's his song being sung. Wow. And the cheerleaders are getting all the fans interacted. They have those, uh, what are those things called, the little boomsticks yeah. or what they mm-hmm. what they are? Yeah, the whole stands will have those, and they're just literally chanting and singing their hearts out. Wow. Yeah, it's that fun. That is special. Yeah, so winning really the series over there, the championship over there, I'm sure it was nuts. Yeah, because you've got the half fans. the stadium for us and then half the stadium for them. So the whole time that we're at bat, the whole half, because it was in the stadium, it was in the Olympic Stadium, uh, 
It's called Jomsil. It's right in the heart of Seoul. Okay. So when they had the Olympics over there, they built this stadium just for the Olympics, and they still use it. Two of the teams in Seoul split it. Uh, so, yeah, you had it holds probably about 30,000. Okay. Yeah, so on our side, it was about 15,000 for us and 15,000 for them. Incredible. So when we're hitting, we have our guys going nuts, and then when they're hitting, you have their guys going nuts, and it just kind of goes back and forth. It's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a soccer game. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it sounds like a... A heated soccer game in the middle of Europe. Like, just, yeah, what fun. would be your song then that so, you don't mind hearing over and so over again? <laughs> pitchers didn't, we right. didn't get songs. It was only the hitters. Oh, man. Yeah. You never um, went up to bat? No, not over there. Oh, okay. Not over there. Pitchers don't hit over there. They've got wow. the DH. Yeah. Yes. Did you like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm not very good at hitting. <laughs> Anybody that paid attention to the last couple yeah. of years for me yeah. hitting knows that I don't I mean, enjoy you have hitting. to focus on your pitches. I mean, I never get on Well, I also, I stopped hitting. I stopped hitting after my sophomore year of high school. Okay. So the last time I saw live pitching before I got to the big leagues was when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. So I went from guys throwing eight, maybe 88 to Jacob deGrom in, you know, in City Field in New York. So... Yeah. yeah, it's always exciting though when you see a pitcher like make contact, and get a good little, good <laughs> yeah, little first base hit there. <laughs> I uh, I put one back in play against Degrom. I hit a little two hopper right back Look to at him. That. Okay. And uh, I actually got high fives when I got back in the dugout just for putting a bat on it. So I felt pretty good about that one. So if you were a hitter, yeah. what would your song be that you don't mind hearing over and over in your bat? Ooh, oh, you mean like an actual song? Do they, it's not so songs, they sing? They sing. Wow. So okay, they that's have, another level. Yeah, so they have, and they've even, like, made them up. So they make up these songs. Some of them have themes that you might recognize. Like, okay. some of them are to the the tune of Indiana Jones, or some of them are to the tune of, yeah. How but, do they even, like, organize that? That just is, like, I don't that's know. They're crafty. Me. I don't know. Like that makes crafty. fandom over here just seem like yeah. we are, we need to step up our I game I think so. Lot. I think so. And <laughs> they, uh. So, yeah, every – I don't know how they teach it to them. I think they probably come in maybe Fan Fest or something like that. But and it, the guys that have been there for a while, obviously those mm-hmm. ones stick because everyone knows right. them. But when a new foreign guy I've, – I've witnessed when a new foreign guy comes over, they have to like – there'll be a, a fan section that sits right behind the dugout. Those okay. are the main people that they, you know, project to. Mm-hmm. And I've heard them while we're practicing. They'll be out there like re- – practicing it and reviewing it and wow. teaching it to them. Yeah. Look at that. That's like training sing. involved here. Yeah, it's wild. That's they don't, so they take crazy. it so seriously. I love that. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Cool. So talk about more life moments. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you signed your contract to become a diamondback the day of your wedding. That's correct. That correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, December so you're 1st. celebrating obviously this huge life moment, yeah. getting married to Brie, shout out to Brie again. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then your dream the come true. Same day I knew I was going to be in the big leagues. Yeah, it was a, it was was a fun like? day. It was a really fun day. A really fast day. Yeah. It was definitely a blur. I mean, but, a blur, weddings are always a blur, yeah, but then true. throw in the mix of like this huge life moment that you've been working. Yeah. You know, and obviously I had all my, all my buddies with me, all my groomsmen. So um, we were getting ready and, you know, I told them what had happened or what was about to happen. So obviously we got to start the day off on a, on a pretty cool note and just kind of rode that into the, uh, into the wedding. Was that pretty surreal for you of like all places to end up, obviously growing up here in Scottsdale, Mm -hmm. going to ASU just to say I'm an Arizona night back now. Yeah, it was definitely a special day. Um, so when I became a free agent, we had been talking to a couple different teams. We knew the San Diego Padres were going to make an offer, and we knew the Boston Red Sox were going to make an offer. Okay. But my whole time over in Korea um, and even coming back, we hadn't heard the Diamondbacks' name once. I had no idea they were even interested. 
Um, and then the day I came, became a free agent, my agent calls me and says, Hey, Arizona's calling and they want to make something happen. Um, we knew, like I said, we knew those other teams were going to make offers. Uh, but at the time it was going to be both of them going to be one year offers. So my agent went back to him and said, Hey, if you want to get something done, he's interested obviously, cause he lives there. Um, but it's probably going to have to be more than one year. Mm -hmm. So they came back with the offer that we uh, agreed upon. It was a two-year deal with two more options. Um, and, you know, coming back from Korea, like, uh, I didn't know. No better know. place. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know what to say at the time. I called my buddy. Uh, there's a guy named Jamie Romack. I played with two year, my last two years over in Korea. He actually played for the Diamondbacks for a quick second. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was one of the first person, one of the first people I called. I got pretty close with him over there. Um, and I called him while we were, I remember we were out on the green belt right in front of our house, throwing the ball for our dogs. Oh. Um, and I called him and told him what was going on. And we both like, just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. The fact that I was in South Korea four years ago and now <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, in the, in a rotation, the guaranteed spot in a rotation on mm -hmm. a big league team. It was, yeah, it was in, like, I mean, still to this day, I have, I have trouble putting it into words just because it was, well, you also, took me 30 years to get there. Yeah, yes. And you also, I, I would think appreciate and value the word home more. No it's just, you know, you're not going to, you know, the apartment or mm -hmm. rental space or separated from your family yeah. and you're able to have your roots here, which is pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. And my whole family's here and obviously Bree's whole family's here. Uh, and just being away from, for so long, being in South Korea for so long and having that time change with her, um, and just my family. I mean, if I went to sleep early or if she woke up late or vice versa, and we would just miss each other that day. Yeah. That was it. We'd talk to you tomorrow. We'd wow. talk to you in another eight hours. So to be able to know that I don't have to leave my house, not only I went from across the world to, you know, my backyard, mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't turn it down. Yeah, I, spring training's here. Yeah, everything. And go right into the flow of the season. I don't have to find a place to live for spring training. I don't have to have pay a mortgage and a rent during season. Right. I don't have to pack any of my Oof. stuff. The only time I pack is to go on the road and come home. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the best parts about staying at home. You know, it's when, when we come off the road, all the guys, like you said, they go to their rental property, right? It's either they rented an apartment from one of their friends that they know out here or just find something to rent for the time being. Uh, I think the biggest difference is once I get off the plane, I just drive home. So nice. Yeah. Home sweet home. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, coming into the majors, being a 30-year-old rookie mm -hmm. and really coming to a place of trying to maybe just realize the moment or mm -hmm. just accept that you belong here, mm -hmm. know that you belong here and that confidence. What kind of strengthened your belief and your confidence within yourself? Uh, I think just time. Like I, I don't think I was fully confident and really felt like I belong until last year. I wow. think it took me that long. I mean, I knew I was, you know, I knew I was good enough. I knew, you know, the the track record that I had over those couple of years was pretty good. I mean, it was, if you look at the stats wise, you know, kind of average. Mm -hmm. um, I've always prided myself on throwing a lot of innings and I was able to do that except yeah. for, you know, 2020 when I had uh, my thoracic outlet surgery. Yeah, that's a crazy story. We'll talk about that. Okay. But keep um, going. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it wasn't until going into spring, even before I signed my extension in spring last year, it wasn't really until going into spring last year that I really could walk into the complex with complete calmness. Um, mm. You know, cause growing up, I always watched baseball. I was always a baseball fan. 
um, I still had the big leagues on such a pedestal. Like I would always look around, even my clubhouse, you know, I'd walk in Robbie Ray, Archie Bradley, you know, these guys that have been there for a while. Um, and I still viewed them as better than me for whatever reason it was. Um, I think I was the guy coming into the clubhouse, you know, who's this guy from Korea? We just signed him to a two year deal. He's never been in the big leagues. Um, these are the thoughts that I had in my own head, whether they had it in theirs, I don't know. Uh, probably not. You know, and getting to know those guys, they're awesome dudes. Um, but yeah, I, but we have our own limiting beliefs. Exactly. So you're walking into the clubhouse yeah, and you're of looking major around, leaguers. Like, yeah, and yeah. you're you're a major leaguer, but yeah. you're looking around and maybe have that identity, yeah. you know, crisis of okay, I have this opportunity. Did yeah. it ever feel like the weight of the opportunity is what was messing? Um, mindset. I don't think so. Cause I mean, I signed a two year deal originally. My original deal was two years guaranteed, no matter what. No matter so, what. um, and, but you didn't want to go in the bullpen. Yeah, for sure. So, that was, yeah, that's not an option. That's no. why I went to Korea because yeah. to get to not be in the bullpen. Yeah. So, um, but I just think, like I said, I think I put it on such a pedestal. I think I mm. still didn't think, even though I had signed the two year deal, I was guaranteed a spot in the rotation. I was on the team. Um, yeah, just for some reason, it took me a little longer to, to really realize that and kind of realize the value that I had, um, you know, to contribute to the team. Wow. So what do you think was the thing, the turning point for you that truly allowed you to make space for who you are, what you're capable of bringing to this Diamondbacks organization? Um, I think just, like I said, I think just getting through the last three years, um, you know, the two, the last two years on the deal were not guaranteed. There were options that they chose to pick up. So mm-hmm. I think with each of those, you know, them, even though with what I had considered very average years uh, to them, they picked up the option without even questioning it. So for me, the longer I'm in a place, it was the same thing in Korea, you know, Korea, the first year I was looking around, like, what did I do? Where am I? Why am I here? What did I do with my life? Uh, but by the end, you know, I was walking in there. These guys were my family. Like I saw them every day. I was around them. Um, so for me, it just takes a little bit of time, especially with new people. I'm not great at opening up really quick. Um, I kind of get to know you to really truly feel comfortable around you for a while. So I think it's really just been, it's been that it's been, yeah, it's been the adjustment period. It's been, I've seen guys come and go. Um, you know, I have my locker every year. So I think just being there for four years for me is the biggest difference. Just knowing Mm -hmm. that and obviously seeing the success, right? Like, especially after how I pitched last year. Yes. Um, but there were flashes of it, right. In 2020, before I got hurt, I was pitching the same way that I did this year. Um, so I think just with me seeing the results more and more and more and more obviously leads you to more confidence, right? Mm -hmm. If, like I said, I touched on Manny Machado, um, Fernando Tatis, and it's like the more I got those guys out and the more I just saw them as other players rather than, you know, the all-stars that they are, um, then it, it went into more attack mode rather than, um, you know, trying to be too fine and be right. too scared if they're going to beat me. Mm-hmm. The, the mind, the mentality now is here it is, hit it. You and if, you, if you do, then whatever, yeah. I'll get the next one and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I told you all this could be like a two hour podcast, but <laughs> I do want to get into your, not to bring back some memories, but we love storytelling on this podcast. We've had some pretty interesting, <laughs> coincidentally, we've had some pretty interesting uh, stories of, Gosh, injuries and and it's just been wild. So it's kind of like a theme here, I guess. You obviously have one yourself that I remember reading about 
don't know too much in depth about, but your blood clot yeah. in your right shoulder, yeah, which doesn't fare well for life. a picture or, or just life. life. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> life blood clots. Yeah. Not not a fan. Yeah. Um. So yeah, take me through that bizarre injury. That I mean, you kind of knew something was up right yeah. away, but it just it took a while to be diagnosed, right? Yeah. Um. And it was missed. I mean. I definitely know it was missed. I don't know how it was missed, but wow. it was definitely missed. Yeah. Um, I had been dealing with, so very beginning, I was in San Diego uh, in the hotel and I was doing some of my scouting homework. I was writing notes and I looked down at my hand and I noticed that it was a little, had a little bit more of a, like a reddish tint to it than it, than mm -hmm. it usually does. Okay, you know, it's weird, whatever. Kept going, went through the day. Uh, we got home and same thing. Like I noticed I would put my hands together and my wife gets on me all the time for doing this, but it's just a nervous tick at this point that I'll put my hands together just to make sure just that they're the sure, same yeah. color. <laughs> I um, mean now. Yeah. Yeah. So I started doing that more and more just cause it was freaking me out a little bit. Um, I went to, you know, I went to our training staff one day and I said, Hey, like, you know, what do you got on this? You know, and they said, if anything, it's a good thing because it means that there's blood there, right? If it were, if it were right, all white, then right. we might be in trouble because it means your, their blood's not getting to your hand. So I said, okay, kept going. Um, and slowly but surely the feeling that I had and the color just started kind of creeping up my arm. Um, and it, the word I use to them and the word I use now still is my arm felt sludgy. Mm. So I wanted to do this all day long because this is what made it feel better. Wow. And come to find out the reason was, is the vein that I had the clot in is responsible for flushing the blood back out of your arm. So your body's smart. The blood is smart. It's going to find ways to get in. But the problem was it was getting in, but it couldn't get back out because the main highway was clogged. Um, so the thing was I would wear a compression sleeve pretty much 24 hours a day because that was the only thing that made it feel better. It got to the point where I couldn't even touch my elbow because there was so much blood pooled that wow. it would stop me from getting there. Um, and you were pitching throughout this. Yeah. So that was the weirdest part. Um, when I would start getting warmed up and the blood flow would go, it would feel better. Okay. So we didn't think anything of it at first. We finally went in for an ultrasound um, and an MRI on my neck. Both came back clear. So we said, all right, you're good. So there's two types of, of TOS, thoracic outlet syndrome. One is vascular, which I had, and then one is called neurogenic. It deals with more of the nerves up here. They get tangled up, they get inflamed, and that's where you get the symptoms from. So we were under the impression that it was neurogenic TOS. They gave me prednisone. Um, I was on it for nine days, and about day seven, it was only getting worse. So I went to our training staff again. I said, hey, guys, like, I'm starting to get a little frustrated. Like, something's going on that's what is supposed to happen isn't happening, right? right? Like, day seven out of nine of prednisone, if that was it, like, it probably would have taken yeah. care of it. So I threw a bullpen in San Fran. Didn't feel right. We came back here. I was supposed to throw a game against Colorado. So I start warming up. I start going through my same routine, and it's just – is my arm is blowing up. It's purple. Swollen. Yeah, swollen, twice the size of this arm. Um, so that's when I finally went into Tori's office and said, hey, like, I can't do it. Like, I can't. I got to shut this down. I know something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but I know something's wrong. Wow. Like, that night in the shower when I tried to wash my hair, I couldn't even get my arm up to my head because it was that heavy. I had to, like, get it up there because there was that much blood sitting in it. So that next morning, went in for an ultrasound. Um, the technician found it within 45 seconds. 
um, was in the hospital at four o'clock that day. They ran a catheter up, uh, slept in the hospital that night with the catheter and they dripped the medicine in to dissolve the clot. Mm-hmm. Um, woke up that next morning, went down, they checked it again. They said it was about 70% gone. So they said, we got two options. They said, we can either go in and suck it out or we can put the catheter back in there and drip it out again. I said, go get that thing. I don't even care. <laughs> go, get <it> out. <laughs> yeah, go get it out. So I went back on the, uh, you know, the operating table and it was kind of funny because the first time they ran the catheter up there, they didn't give me any medicine. It didn't hurt that bad. I was, I was chilling with it. And this time they said, you know, it's going to be a little bit more invasive. Like, are you sure you don't want any, I think it was probably morphine, right? And they sh- are you sure you don't want any morphine? I said, no, last time it wasn't bad. Oh. So <laughs> they ran it up there, whatever machine they used to kind of suck it out. And I started feeling like this. I started feeling, uh, <laughs> I said, nurse, I started like, hitting morphine, the button. <laughs> I started hitting the button. I said, all right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Knocked out for a couple minutes and woke up. And then uh, two weeks later I had, um, I think it was about two weeks later, I had ended up having um, thoracic surgery and they took out, uh, this first rib. So my top rib up here on my right side is gone. Wow. They go in, it's pretty good. I only have, I have a little incision right here on my neck and then I have a little incision right here at the top of my pec, like right underneath my collarbone. Okay. Uh, and I guess they go in somehow and listen a rib and yeah, it took out the top rib. Wow. They handed it to me in a little, uh, jar with some liquid in it they gave you your rib uh-huh. why would they do <laughs> i don't know i guess it's a thing some it's people yeah some people keep it i've heard you didn't keep it so i went through all this exploratory research with it i talked to as many people as i could that that i knew that had it yeah and i've heard crazy stories i've heard people kept it in their back pocket while they pitched i've heard people made necklaces with it i've heard all kinds of stuff with this thing so is this common within it's a lot more common than I thought. Yeah. So the problem was since we throw overhead, it's not natural, right? Yes. There's not much space in between your first rib and your collarbone up here. Like, okay, let me see. Yeah. Which rib would it be? It's, it's actually above your collarbone. Okay. If you want to try to feel, I thought it was like below, but it's actually above your collarbone. (laughs) For those It's a little tiny rib. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little tiny rib right above your collarbone. Okay. Um, but the problem was there wasn't enough space in between my collarbone and that rib. So every time I would throw that vein kept getting pinched and pinched and pinched and pinched mm, and, pinched and origin and eventually it became inflamed scar tissue built up and that's how the clot wow, formed. That so that's bizarre. Yeah. I've heard of Tommy John's obviously that yeah. happens more, unfortunately more yeah, often, a lot than, more often. Yeah, but this is, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah it was, uh, a crazy so couple you don't want to keep you didn't want to keep your no rib? i thought i was going to <laughs> make a little necklace out of it and it was sitting right there on the counter on the okay. on the sink when i walked out of the hospital room and i stopped and i looked at it and i just said nah i, I just i don't want to a i want to leave that part of my life behind me and b i just yeah that caused a lot of yeah it was trauma yeah it was a crazy i'm not gonna lie it was it was a crazy couple weeks like when i found out what it was and then the thoughts went through my mind of what could have happened. Yeah. That's when I really started freaking out. Yeah. Cause I mean, we were flying, like I probably took two or three flights. I pitched two or three games, um, you know, and obviously that's what I was going to say. Flying makes it mm-hmm. worse. Like any type of blood clot. Wow. Yeah. So it was, well. once I found out what had happened and you know, the hoops that we jumped through to get to that point, um, it was, it was definitely kind of trippy in my mind. It, it took me a minute to kind of get past it. Wow. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Cause like I said, I'm in worst case scenario, that thing breaks off and yeah. I'm not sitting here talking to you today. Wow. So damn, you just went there. Damn. Yeah. I mean, That's you scary. know, we went there. That's those scary. are the thoughts. Those are just <laughs> the thoughts, true. you know, those are the thoughts that went through my mind. It took me a minute to get past it, but yeah. you know, it, it worked out and I'm, 
I was able, luckily a lot of guys don't come back from TOS as well as I did. Okay. So I'm very grateful that I was able to come back and basically be normal. Um, so yeah, now that that part's behind me, it's, it's, I'm glad it is. Cause well, it we're was glad you're fun. here. Yeah, for sure. Obviously. Yeah, we're glad sure. the fam- the family's glad you're yeah, here. Definitely. All is good. Definitely. The future is bright for you. You're coming off such a great year. Appreciate it. Like I said, 200 innings pitch, which was a huge milestone for you that you yeah. were going after. What did it just mean t- for you just to accomplish that? A lot, a lot. I had thrown 200 innings one time in Korea. Um, and I think just way, the way the game's played now and with how bullpens yeah. are run and starting pitchers are managed and, you know, this mysterical um, 100 pitch limit that I came out of thin air for some right. reason. I, I would love to see the research Does that on it. piss you off, like yes. the way that the game is yeah. transitioning now for to sure. more strategy based off just let someone flow? And yeah. If, yeah. And just the way I view starting pitching, that's how I view starting pitching. I want to go as many innings as I can. I want to go, like, m- the way I gauge my games is did I go six innings or not? If mm-hmm. I went six innings, I did my job. If I went more than six innings, then I did better than if. And if I didn't go six, then I'm not happy with it. Yeah. Even so not if a I, lot of not a lot of players are able to hit this milestone. Yeah, I mean no. there was a, only eight of us this year. There was wow. eight guys that hit 200 innings. Very I was cool. pretty happy with it. Yeah, and I was happy that we made it a point to. I was happy with the organization that they made it a point to make that a priority. Yes, everyone th- was rallying behind you, which is really cool to see. Yeah, well, because at the end of the year, too, we called up, you know, we called up a bunch of young guys. We called up three different young guys, so we went through a six-man rotation there for a little right. bit. And at the time, I thought it was going to threaten me getting there. Um, and Tori and, and Strami definitely made it happen, so I appreciate them for doing That's that. That's very cool. Yeah. And then you're going to be pitching for Team USA, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, very I'm really cool. excited about that. Very really excited cool. So how are you that. prepping for that? And how does that affect, too, as a pitcher? Because it's right into springtime, mm-hmm. right? So then you're going to go straight into yeah. Well, spring I think, training? Yeah, I think what will happen is my spring training will just turn into Team USA. Okay. So it's, I think it's in March. I think it's right after we get going in spring. So I think I'll be with the team for a couple of days and then the rest of it will just be depending on how, you know, how far we go. Uh, the rest of spring, I think will just be with team USA rather than with the D-backs. Yeah. But I'm really excited about that. And we've got a squad. I mean, the, I haven't seen all the pitchers that have been announced yet, obviously, because they haven't done everybody. Um, they said they weren't going to announce everybody during the playoffs, but from the position players I've seen that have committed already, like, yeah, uh, it's going to be a pretty fun team to pitch for. Very cool. I'm yeah. sure you take a lot of pride in that. That's, no doubt. That's amazing. No doubt. Look at you. I told you this is a story of redemption. <laughs> Got a rib missing over yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me <laughs> eight years ago if you thought I'd be pitching for Team USA next year, I would have told you amazing. you're crazy. Amazing. Crazy. So, well, tell people how they can continue to follow your journey. You're are you a big Instagram guy, or uh, I'm getting better. A bit Twitter. I'm getting better. <laughs> my wife, my wife, and my uh, you know my kind of my agency and my team yeah. have been kind of pushing me to get out there a little bit more. Are so we going to see some, uh, some reels maybe. with your dancing Tori, skills over uh, here? <laughs> Tori said he's going to bring it out one time, but he hasn't, he hasn't put me on the spot yet yes. for it. Maybe if we make the playoffs, I'm, I'm sure okay. it'll come out at some hey, point. But next year. Yeah, but I made I a, uh, I actually ended up making a, I have a private Instagram and I have a public Instagram. Oh. Yeah, so the private one is AKA just. AKA a burner account. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just the one that my my team, I guess my people around me have kind of pushed me into making. Okay. Like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not huge into that. that stuff, but yeah, Mertman 29 is my public one. Um, that's where I post all my, that's pretty much, I just post baseball stuff. Um, cool. There's a lot of people out there that I don't feel like sharing my uh, whole life with. So right. I keep that I on that. the other you're side. Public eye, but you're yeah. also going to have a TikTok boom and soon, I'm sure with your dancing skills <laughs> coming soon. Yeah, make I'm not sure on you TikTok. follow. TikTok's a little too much for me, but Instagram and Twitter, definitely. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was so yeah. much fun. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate Thanks it. for having Make me. Make sure you follow us on YouTube, State 48. 
for this pod release. No doubt. All right.